This is but one of a thousand true crimes. Hey everyone, welcome back to A Thousand True Crimes. Uh, you're here with me, Chelsea, and my lovely co-host, Joe. Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, so how's it going, girl? This week has been a week. It's been a week. It's been a week, but you know what? Next week's short because it's Thanksgiving. And it's turkey day. I'm coming down to see you. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. Me too. So excited. I know. I'm excited too. I'm excited to hug that baby. When are you coming? Wednesday? Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday? Okay, perfect. Um, then we have to go grocery shopping because I'm a procrastinator. I don't have anything for Thanksgiving. Listen, there's nothing better for an ADHD person than a last-minute deadline that you've done nothing for. So it's perfect. It was like me finishing this episode today. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's just going to be like you and me, like – Baby B doesn't eat hardly anything. He, like, eats a bite of something and then he's over it. Can relate. And, like, you don't really eat meat. I can so relate. I feel like we're just going to have, like, a green bean casserole, three cheese mashed potatoes, and... We'll get you a little turkey. Stuffing. Like a little turkey. Eh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not too concerned about it. I mean, that all sounds delicious, so I'm looking forward to it. Those are, like, the best parts of Thanksgiving. Green bean casserole, yeah, mashed potatoes, was... stuffing. Done. But... Well, that is good. Um, so what you drinking over there? I think we're like okay. twinsies today. So because we are going into an episode where I need to keep my my brain sharp because there's a lot involved, I'm only drinking a busy. That's all I got. Okay. Is that what you got? Yeah. All right. I do. <laughs> I do have a busy. I'm finishing it up. But since – okay, guys. Spoiler, um, <laughs> Joe's handling the episode this week because she really wanted to do one, um, like the specific one, yeah. and it has a lot of research to it. And I would, I would love to be able to be like, my job is to research crime yeah. and mysteries and this and that. But unfortunately, um, <laughs> that's not in my cards right now. Yet, that's so right. Yet. she took this one on, <laughs> and so I'm finished. Anyways, I'm finishing up my busy, but then you're gonna be surprised, girl. You got a red wine? Look what I... You got a red wine. A little red wine. We switched today. Okay, okay. What inspired the red wine? Was it the ghost Um, that almost killed you? you... (laughs) (sighs) That is a different story for a different podcast that, like, we need to... We'll talk about that later. Later. Lord's prayers. (laughs) Um, But you know what it is? Is that... After I had my son, I couldn't do red wine. Yeah, yeah. And it's been a couple of years now, so I think my hormones are, like, starting to actually get back to normal. Okay, yeah, kinda. yeah, yeah. And um, it's colder out. Mm, okay, got it. Like, Hawaii, I was just, like, continuously hot. And the idea of drinking, like, a red wine on a hot day just was, like, mm. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted something cool and crisp. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm like, ooh, it's, like... You know, it's like 40 degrees outside right now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like warm up the fuck back up. So I'm like getting back into my my red wines. But I, you know me, I stick with Malbecs. I mean, they're so. delicious. Yeah. There's nothing. I love a good Malbec. Yeah. 
All right. Well, <laughs> so while you stay sharp, I will follow along or stumble along. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It, it, if you need to ask questions, I will admit. So, so the documentary that I kind of followed and took my notes on. It's an incredible documentary if you – so what we're doing is the Dyatlov Pass incident. And so if anyone is familiar with that, there's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of evidence and all that other stuff. So um, the documentary is incredibly informative, and I encourage everyone to watch it. It's called An Unknown Compelling Force, directed by Liam Legio. He's French. I don't know. We've already okay. established my ability to, to do French. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, but, uh, it takes a lot of twists and turns. So, um, the notes might be a little twisty and turny. So just ask me questions because I have been interested in this case. I don't know. Since I got into true crime, like this is my shit. This is where I'm like, okay, what the fuck happened to these people? Cause nothing makes sense. But the exciting and cool thing about this documentary is that I think they figured it out, which is Super exciting. So, so do you believe in their theory? Yep. I buy it. Okay, Which is the well, first time she just rolled up her. <laughs> getting she just Joe just like literally is like getting ready to crack into it, and she just rolled her sleeves up Here we go. and is like cracking her like knuckles. So like she's Yo. she's I, I got my okay I got my pen and paper. Let's. Do I need to get a whiteboard out? Should we get some like strings and connect them? Yeah, exactly. That's a hardcore (laughs) Charlie vibes. You know the scene where he's like got the red tape and like yeah, yeah. So um, you should have your computer ready to Google a couple pictures. I will say that. Okay. Well, I'm ready, and I will tell you what to Google. Okay. So. Um, I'm going to, before I start anything, I'm going to let you guys know zero of this information is from my brain. I, I'm pretty sure that I gave all the information, like I, I cited the people who were speaking in the documentary, but there are a lot of talking heads here. Um, if I forgot anything, I, I apologize. But again, everything that I am telling you is from this documentary. It is from Liam and the talking heads who I will introduce as we go. But please watch the documentary. If I say something that sounds confusing, go watch the documentary. They will explain it better. Um, and Liam, if you ever listen to this podcast, you did a really stellar job. Okay. So here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. So in 1959, after failing to report back, nine students were found frozen to death in subpolar conditions. Found without their layers, miles from their tent, bones crushed, odd injuries, and no sign of avalanche or natural disasters. That's how we get into this case. That's how the documentary brings us in. So I just want to give you guys a little background on Liam because he really is the journalist who has done like a lot of the work. He's pulled the resources with all the different talking heads. Um, So he is a journalist who became obsessed with the case after reading um, the massive documentation that came out after the Soviet Union collapsed. And we'll get to information about that in a minute. Um, which can relate. If anyone's de- de- 
dove into this case. It's wild and it's crazy and you do just want to know everything about it. Um, but unlike the rest of us, he decided to travel to Russia to see if he could dig anything up new to add to the case. Because one of the things that was really important for him was bringing something new to the zeitgeist of the case. So um, he decides to go to Russia. And this is, again, where it gets kind of jumpy with the documentary. So just just bear with me. If you have questions, please feel free to ask. So <clears throat> he runs us through a quick timeline of the events. So January 1959, a team of 10 young hikers began their expedition deep into the Ural Mountains. Mm-hmm. Ten days into their journey, the team reaches the peak, which the English translation is, it's called Dead Mountain by the locals. Okay. I know that sounds ominous. <clears throat> it's just because there's not like a lot going on life out there. Yeah, exactly. It's not because lots of people die there or anything crazy like that. Like some people speculate we're not even we're not entertaining that. Um, so after they reach this part of their journey, that's when all the shit hits the fan. In the middle of the night, the team had to allegedly cut their way out of their tents, flee down the mountain where they're without their winter clothes or boots. Weeks after they were due to return home, search parties were sent out and found the bodies of the hikers more than a mile away, each one suffering inexplicable injuries. The Soviet government did open a criminal case into it, um, but they closed and sealed it pretty quickly, concluding that the hikers simply froze to death for reasons unknown. Okay. So that was the official criminal case that was done into it. Got it. So take that with a grain of salt. Got it. Not just Russia, the Soviet Union. That is very important okay. to remember that this all happened under the reign of the Soviet okay. Union. Okay, that's there. Yep, uh-huh. got it. Yeah. Okay, Soviet yeah. Union. So about 30 years later, after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, the original case file was released back into the public, and this stirred up a lot of new interest in the case and is when Liam, the main speaker of the story starts really getting into it um he starts searching through the thousands and i mean thousands like thousands of documents um when he started noticing there were a lot of inconsistencies with all of the documentation out there compared to the documents and like like the stories and the rumors Mm -hmm. and the legends and all that other stuff he's like "Mm, there's some stuff that doesn't make a whole lot of sense so During his search, he stumbled upon a Russian organization who's doing its best to try to uncover the reality of what happened, whose website, interestingly enough, I found when I first started researching this case. And I will post that link into our show notes for this um, because it's the most comprehensive website that has all the pictures, all the timelines, all the maps, all the like it has everything on there. It's called um, the Overwhelming Force of Dilatov Pass of Dyatlov Pass um, and they've got like books and information so I will put the link for that if anyone wants to kind of like dig in and see some of these pictures that they have because one thing that's really unique about this case is we have diaries from the students mm-hmm. from the explorers um, we have documentation of their journey we have photos that you know it was late enough that they did were able to take black and white photographs like we have so much documented information about this case which a lot of times we don't so all that's on that website I'll put the link in the show notes if you guys want to like follow along and look at pictures head there um and the creator of uh this foundation is called the Diatlov Foundation is Yuri Konsevich um I'm just gonna go ahead and preemptively apologize for how much I'm gonna butcher a lot of these names so 
once he makes this connection with this organization, he decides he's going to head to Russia. But before that, we meet Svetlana Oss, who she stays with us through the whole documentary. So I will be calling her Svetlana. Um, She used to work for the Moscow Times. Now she works in the U.S. But she was one of the first people to break... um, one of the uh, one of the first English language stories about the case back in 2007 and has since written a book, which is one of the most well-researched books on the mystery. It's called Don't Go There, The Mystery of the Dyatlov Pass. Um, so again, if you guys want better information, because I'm not great at this, read her book also. That's an option as well. So um, she brings up a lot of the conspiracies that are going on in this case, and we'll get into those later. Um, But they do jump in and address one right off the bat, Mm -hmm. which again, like I mentioned, this case jumps around a lot. So just hold on, buckle up, (laughs) just hold on, go with me. If you have questions, just ask them. Okay. So there are a lot of speculations about Russian government cover-ups in this case. Yeah. Um, And there's one where so the date on the case file is it says February 6th. The hikers weren't expected back until the 12th. So there's okay. a lot of people who look at this and they're like, oh, oh, see, the government knew something before anything happened. But if you go through all of the documents and all of the paperwork, everything was very clearly done in March, like all of the other paperwork. Mm-hmm. There was just one misstated piece of paperwork that was misstated as the 6th of February. She was guessing probably instead of the 6th of March. Someone That's just what I was going to say. But it's like right. they probably just messed up the date and it was and so whoever copied it used that document and they it was just a clerical error like it was not like some conspiracy because all of the other documents were Mm -hmm. dated in march like so that we can just that's nothing that's that's unnecessary meandering um okay so she introduces us to the group and i think that this is kind of important if you don't remember the names that's okay There'll be a lot of pins. Don't worry. Okay. So these were all students and friends from the Ural Polytechnical University. Okay. They had, and they call it tourism when you go out and go hiking and like expeditions and stuff okay. like that. Um, a lot of times I will call them hikers because I just feel like calling them tourists is a little confusing. Mm-hmm. But if I do use the word tourist, that's what I'm talking about. Cause in Russia, that's what they call people who go out into the wilderness. They call them tourists. So the group leader was Igor Dyatlov, the person who the pass was named after. He was the most experienced of everyone in the group. And he was he was really focused on getting the group there safely and getting the group back. Um, Next, we have Zina Komogrova. Um, She had a bright personality. She had also been on a lot of expeditions. They were like kind of in this club together. People often speculate that she was in love with Igor um, because Igor, when he was found or in his jacket, um, was a a picture of her. So while, yes, Igor was probably into her, she probably wasn't that into him Um, because there was another guy on the expedition named Yuri Doroshenko. and there's two Yuris, and I will often refer to them as the Yuris, but there's Doroshenko, and we'll get to him. Um, 
so he was from a poor family um very like rural family but he was very brave so there was they were on one expedition and a bear came up towards their camp barehanded he like scared off a bear a russian bear i mean that's a pretty damn like russian thing to say and do i'm just saying right so xena saw this was smitten However, by the time the expedition was scheduled, their relationship was over and they were just like on good terms. They just they weren't together anymore. So that's why I mean, and if you read her notes and stuff like that, like you can document all of this. So like they weren't a couple. Um, Then there's Ludamila, Ludamila. Um, They call her Luda. That's what we're going to call her is Luda. She was also an experienced hiker. She was very shy, but she was very strong, like physically. Once on an expedition, she was shot in the leg by a hunter on accident, of course. Um, And she persevered through that. Um, And then there's um, Rustim Slobodin. Um, he was the most athletic guy. And after they found out that he didn't make it, his father couldn't believe that his son wasn't able to persevere through it because he was just so physically strong. Then there's Sasha Kolvatov. And he's kind of the cool dude. He's not in a lot of pictures. He's kind of more private, like, you know, too cool for school. Kind of that vibe. Um, Semyon Kolotar. hmm. Kolotaryov. There it is. Um, so he was actually 37. He was not from the university. He requested to join this expedition just weeks before their departure because he was, he was like a guide for hikers and he needed one more expedition to get his upgrade, like in his job. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he, when he found out that they were going, he asked if they could join and he was super quickly accepted into the group. He's in lots of pictures. He's comfortable. It's all great. I bet he Um, regretted that decision. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Um, then there's Nikolay Thibault Brigonel, but they call him Thibault. So that's what we're going to call him. Um, he became, he made friends really easily, like super great guy to get along with. And he became really close with Semyon, the older guy, because mm-hmm. um, he was a much more mature and serious type of person. And then there was, <clears throat> this is the other Yuri. Yuri. Krivnashenko. There we go. That's pretty good, girl. And he was kind of a joker. He had lots of, like, playful antics. And then there was the 10th member, Yuri Yudin. Um, he was the only one to make it out alive. And um, he had to end up quitting the trip a little bit early because he got really bad, like, sciatica in his leg. Okay. And so he ended up having to leave the expedition, um, which saved his life. Dang. Did they ever say why they decided to go up this mountain? Like, just for fun? They're just they part just of, like, like, a group. Yeah, that's just, like, kind of, like, what they did for fun. You know, and like, insane people? in the winter and, like, in, the, in like, Sir- yeah. Siberia? What is it? No. Yeah, Siberia. yeah. Siberia. Siberia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, just, that makes- just crazy people who like to go out into the woods for very long periods of time for fun. Yeah. yeah. But in the winter in Siberia... Like it's, it's not always like the winter us going to the woods right now in North Carolina. Like the low is like thirty degrees. Cool, you'll be fine. Like this is like sub freezing temperatures. Like this makes zero sense to me. I would not be friends with any of these people. No, we I'd be wouldn't. like, no. I'd be like, you guys are crazy. Why are you going? 
I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, there is a reason I we remember. build houses, people. Like what? And is why we this? have electricity and heat, like and plumbing. I would be out so quick. Done. I know we are not. We are not wilderness women. Um, I like to go to for a hike, but like I need to be hike, home by dinner time. Hike, hike, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Just go for a walk and come back. If that sun is going down, I'm out. Thank you so much. I know. Goodbye. Okay. I think that these were those kinds of people who just kind of want to prove themselves and take on the elements and do all Ooh. those weird things. And look um, where it got them. I'm just saying. Just... <laughs> do you Ain't listen nothing... to True Crime Obsessed? Yeah, yeah. There's do you know the, good in the woods. their their new that that new merch? If you go in the woods, you either find the skull or you become it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> It's like, I don't, I mean, I'm all about protecting nature. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I'm all about like, I love to go hiking, but they just, if somebody came up to me and said, Hey, do you want to go hike this mountain in Siberia during winter time? I would be like, you <laughs> that's going to take many, many days. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, don't talk no. to me ever again. Thank you no. so much. <laughs> you obviously don't know yeah. me. I know. Feel that. Feel that. So Yuri, um, he, and I'm just saying this now because it doesn't come up later. And again, it's a weird place. The timing, it's better in the documentary than it is when you're trying to spark note the whole situation. So he died in 2013 and he was buried at the <clears throat> Yekaterinburg Cemetery, which okay. is where the um, group was buried. And he was finally reunited with his friends. And he did a lot of work to try and figure out, like, what happened to them up there. Because he was... Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. So. They're supposed to be home by the 12th. Yeah. They don't get home in time. Um, at first, people weren't overly concerned about, like, about that. Um, they were like, well... You know, they were hiking. It was in the wilderness. Like, it was in winter. Like, maybe they're a little delayed. Um, but uh, Sasha's sister mm -hmm. was writing in. Uh, she was writing to a lot of officials and to, like, the school and stuff. And they were like, like, we can't find them. They haven't found them. Like, what's going on? So nine days later, they finally send out search and rescue. Okay. Now, we're doing a big jump, okay? We're doing a big jump. So, we know they find the bodies. Mm -hmm. After they find the bodies, the man called Lev Ivanov, and we're going to call him Ivanov from here on out, um, he was the criminal investigator assigned to the case. Okay. So, the first theory, the very first theory out the bat, when they stumbled upon the scene, and we'll get into some of, the, uh, we'll get into some of it a little bit later, um, was that it was murder. That someone had cut the tent, marched them down the mountain, and killed them or basically left them for dead. Um, his belief was that they would have only left their tent in the conditions that they were in as if they were being forced to do so by a group of armed people. The first suspects in this whole situation were the Mansi people or the Mansi people. These are the natives okay. to Siberian Russia. Um. In the diaries, there was definite documentation that the group saw Mansai markings around um, where they were walking and, and even met with some of the Mansai people during their expedition. But nothing indicated in the diaries or anything else that 
any of their engagements were anything less than unpleasant. The Mansai people even helped with the search and rescue elements um, after the they realized they were missing. Um, but a rumor did start that perhaps the team had somehow interfered with a sacred site or or like a sacred like totem. And so the Mansai people brought judgment down on the hikers by poisoning them with them, poisoning them with the hallucinogens or just simply attacking them in the night. I don't believe that. They were questioned in the investigation formally and they were cleared. Basically, um, they said well, that the mountain yeah. wasn't where their sacred. Yeah, they said they the mountain the, wasn't where their sacred people. spots were. Yeah, and uh, right, what white Russians are like, you did this. Yeah, no, yeah, fuck that. Mm-mm. And they said that this particular spot in the mountain wasn't where they had any sacred spots. It wasn't guarded by the Mansai. Russian people were allowed to come and go as they pleased, and so they were like, okay, dead end. Move on. Yeah. And, you know, just bearing in mind that a lot of the Mansai people did volunteer to be part of the search team. So around the same time in this investigation, so right off the bat, um, the investigation revealed what they believed to be evidence that the hikers were actually the ones to cut their way out of the tent. No, no, no. Never mind. Sorry. We're just going to ignore that. Um. Okay, okay, okay. So then a rumor starts spreading after they find the bodies and after the Mansi people are Mansi people are cleared that it's a Russian Yeti. There's this one frame in the pictures that they took where it's a very mm-hmm. blurred figure. But if you look at all the frames in chronological order of like the pictures that they were taking, it was very clear that it was just an out of out of focus picture. Like this is like a I don't know. I don't even know what kind of a camera it was, but an old ass camera in like negative 20 degree temperatures. Like it's probably I, just an out of focus picture. I just like the Yeti idea just because like Bigfoot, Yetis, like that's I know. fun. It's more fun. Um, it's more but fun. But also if like a Yeti was trying to get at me and I was in a tent, like I'm not leaving my fucking tent. No. No. And we're going to get to some more stuff. Actually, I'll just say it now. It's fine. We can get there. And um, so when the search team was looking for them, they did end up finding their footprints, not boot prints, mm-hmm. footprints. And it was very clear that they were walking. They weren't running. Okay. Yeah. If so a like, if you're being chased me, be by a Yeti, <laughs> you'd be fucking running. Like, be out of there. I know. I always tell people, I'm like, if you see me running, don't even ask questions. Just start running. Just go. Because, like, something <laughs> something just bad is coming, and you don't want to. You don't need to wait around. Just just go. Just come with me. That's all. So I don't even want to um, like bring that up. One thing. I mean, the reason that people have talked about it is because they the kids made like this cute little newspaper page. Where they talk about the sighting of the Yeti and how the Yeti is real. But, like, the whole page, and um, Svetlana tells us this, like, it's satire. Like, they're intentionally making jokes. Like, they didn't yes. see the Yeti. The no. pictures, that the picture that everyone focuses on to be like, look, it was the Yeti. It was just one of them. In a, It was a bad picture. That's all. That's all it was. Okay. <sighs> okay. Jumping back. To one day before the incident, um, Dyatlov left the last entry in the diary. And I'm going to read it to you guys. So, today the weather is a bit worse with the wind and snow. 
until now we walked along a Mansai trail, which was crossed by a deer hunter not long ago. The hunter didn't follow the beaten trail, and we are now following in his steps. Walking is especially hard today. We can't see the trail and have to advance slowly. Tired and exhausted, we started the preparations for the night. We had supper in the warmth of the tent. It's hard to imagine such a comfort somewhere on the ridge with the piercing wind hundreds of kilometers away from human settlements. Doesn't sound stressed, right? No, but like, so they left the main path to follow a deer hunter's path? They left the Mansai Trail. Now, they had plenty of equipment and tools to help them navigate. Like, these weren't newbies. They had done a lot of expeditions before. Yeah, but I'm just, like, wondering why they left the trail. They might have. Hold on to that thought. Don't leave the goddamn trail. They might have had to, or maybe the trail was, like, snowed over. Okay, then go home. easier. Obviously, (laughs) like, I don't... That would be our reaction. <laughs> I'd be like, well, done. There we go. I guess that's the end of that. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> These people are wilderness people, though. They will persevere. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the next day, they did leave a cache of food and equipment for their return journey, which is normal. Um, and the worsening weather forced them to make a camp only a mile and change into Mount... Sackle or the Dead Mountain. Okay. Um, before morning, all nine would be dead. So, like I said, when they didn't make it back by the 12th, people weren't super alarmed. Sasha's sister started making calls, writing letters. Nine days after, they started doing search and rescue. Um, so, as I stated before, it was a very, like, you know, wild area. And they had no real way of knowing where they were on their journey because no one thought they were dead. They just thought they were late. So they're like, where do we look? Do we look at the end of their journey? Do we look in the middle? Do we look at the beginning? Like, so a team of military um, fellow students and officials set out to search for them. At this point, everyone thought it was still a rescue mission. And it took several days before they finally found the hikers partially snow covered tent. So um, that's a super common picture. It's a Mm -hmm. super popular one. Most of you have probably seen it. February 26th, some fellow student hikers found the tent along. Okay, so this is where things get a little crazy. Is this important? Is this not important? I don't know. So on the 26th, some of his fellow student hikers found the tent along with a local forestry worker, Ivan Pashin, who lived and worked alongside the Mansai people. So they had been dropped off like with different groups in by helicopters in different areas. And they found ski tracks. So they were like, okay. Like, let's go follow the ski tracks. tracks. And they they split up and they found the tent. They said they didn't go inside, um, but they also didn't report it right away. Officially, it wasn't until two days later that one of the officials spotted the tent by helicopter. Peshin, when they found it, he refused to go with them to the area. And he never they never said why they decided not to report it. Because to me, like, that's a freaking key piece of evidence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Svetlana, remember Svetlana? Mm-hmm. She comes in with her information and she speculates that he had perhaps already heard something from the Mansi and felt like it was better, or the Mansi, God, I keep saying Mansi, Mansi, and, it, and felt like it was better to just stay away from the matter. Perhaps not necessarily because he 
was doing anything bad, but because he did work so closely with the Mansi people, um, like, just not to get involved. Like, just be like, mm, I'm going to stay out of this and stay neutral. That's her speculation. Okay. So they get to the tent, which is, like, partially buried in snow. Um, I think we're, we're, we're several weeks after they've all died at this point. Um, there's a flashlight sitting on okay. top of the snow. Okay. And, um, when they went through the tents, there were their jackets, their storm jackets, boots, food. It's a no good. So they spread out and about 15 to 20 meters. That's when they found the boot prints mm-hmm. or the footprints. Sorry, not boot prints. At first, the tracks were all together, but down the way, they split. So what was interesting about this was the fact that they weren't running. So it puts them in this mindset because they saw that the the tent was all cut up. And you can see that in the pictures. It's like really sliced. And they're like, okay, so they cut themselves out of this tent and then they walk away. They're so terrified that they zip the tent. Right. They're so terrified that they feel the need to cut themselves out the back of the tent and then just walk away. Hmm. So everyone's a little like, hmm. hmm. <coughs> so the team follows the tracks a little way down and they find the bodies of Krivnyshenko and Doroshenko, the two Yuris. Um, they were nearly a mile away from the tent near a cedar tree. The bodies were half naked Krivnyshenko had on a checkered shirt, torn white underpants and trunks. Doroshenko had on a checkered shirt, padded pants and shorts. The investigation also reported that they were likely uh, in the presence of or near a pretty decent fire of cedar and fir tree branches. It doesn't say specifically why, but it's just in the documentation of the investigation. Okay. So go to the website for that information. Um, about a thousand feet away from the tree, the team found um, Dyatlov. Now, I will say, if you're going to watch this documentary, brace yourself, because there's some some pictures of some dead, frozen bodies, and it's not pretty. Um, He appeared to have collapsed around a small fir tree facing towards the tent, suggesting that perhaps he was attempting to return. He was dressed a little bit warmer than the first two, but he didn't have on a hat, shoes, or gloves. And he also didn't have on an undershirt or jacket. They're like, you're going to die. Yeah. You're going to die. No shoes? You're going to die. Come on. 350 meters uphill, which this is another thing that was really annoying. We switched back and forth from like metric to American in measurement. And so it's like, yeah, you're like really annoying. But yeah, but 350 meters uphill from Dyatlov, they found Zena. She was found laying on her side in the fetal position with her hands covering her face. She had more clothes on than Dyatlov, but still no jacket, shoes or gloves. Six days later, they found Rustem. He was also facing the direction of the tent. They didn't say what he was wearing, but in the pictures, he looked like he had on a shirt of some sort, maybe pants and uh, like some sort of hat that like when you see the snow, it's like that's not going to do anything. So those bodies were sent to Ivedel for autopsy. Um, at first, they only had those five hikers and it would take a couple weeks more before they found the remaining four. So in the meantime, they started on the autopsies. They were all found to have suffered various cuts and bruises to the body, specifically, quote, bruising cuts and abrasions to the nose, eyebrows, and cheeks. Further bruising and abrasions were found on the knuckles and the backs of the hand. 
The medical examiner performing the autopsy at the time said that they were the result of falling over, and he declared the cause of death hypothermia. Okay. When you think of a person who has abrasions to their knuckles and the back of their hands, to me, it and then they like also self-defense. have cuts on their face, on their lips, on their nose. What does that make you think of? They're fighting. Self-defense. Right. Okay. That was my initial reaction, too. Sounds like they got in a fight. Yeah. Okay. So I took this time to put in the information about the government's reaction to the case. So they really didn't want this to become a big deal. Um I feel like we could go into the Soviet Union and how they chose to govern their people, but I feel like we all kind of know what the deal is there. And um, I don't think that the people working on this case were were trying to cover or like like be a part of a conspiracy per se. Mm-hmm. But I think that the government was trying to kind of like sweep this under the rug and they just had to do what they were told because it was the Soviet Union and you didn't have many options. Yeah, you didn't really go against the Soviet Union if you lived in no. Soviet Union territory. Yeah, you kind of no. just... The KGB weren't friendly. No, they were not bringing you cookies. <laughs> and if they were, they were definitely poisoned. So don't eat. Yeah, they- you would probably not. You shouldn't eat those. Yeah. Um. So there was a rumor that when they saw the abrasions that it was the team who started fighting with each other. Um. But knowing what we know about the team and, and how they were found, I don't feel like that holds any weight whatsoever. And even if and- they did start fighting with each other, like, I feel at some point, some of you like, y'all, this has gone way too far. We're going to die. <laughs> like, why are we cutting up our tent that we need? Yeah, like, right. And I feel like when people fight like that, like, in between each and a group, if, like, you know, whatever, like, tensions run high, it's, like, a couple, like, guys will, like, punch each other a few times. Throw a couple bar. punches. Yeah. Yeah. And then be done. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the friends of the the people or who are in the same club or just went to the mm-hmm. same school of the the people in the Dyatlov group they they started speaking up loudly about how this was not true like they were very good friends like they were very serious about their mission like it, that was not absolutely not the case <clears throat> because they didn't want the officials to try to use this as an excuse to explain what happened they were like no we need to know what actually happened cuz that's not what happened yeah so the government after doing the autopsies and everything, tried to quietly bury the five hikers hundreds of miles away from their homes. But the families and the public were like, no, bitch. No, no, no. So they returned the the hikers home and inadvertently created a ton of public attention on this case. Well, They're yeah, they should have just given the Dane bodies back. I know. They Why were are trying you trying to, to hide? They were trying to be shady. They were trying to be shady. Well, we will get to that. We will get to that. So their funerals were huge and attended by hundreds, including the KGB. Um, but people were demanding to know what happened. So this behavior by the government is kind of what started rumors of, like, government conspiracy. Strange lights in the sky, strange photographs, and specifically the final frame photograph, which that's one you should look up. Um, <clears throat> frame 34? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just... Keep that one up. <clears throat> okay. Take a gander at it. So 
It didn't help that two weeks after the funeral, an explorer named Vladislav Karolin and his team were hiking in the Urals, not far from the Dyatlov Pass, when they witnessed something strange in the sky. They saw mm-hmm. a bright light up in the sky shaped like a sphere. It quickly disappeared behind the trees. And at the time, he had no idea what it was. I mean, like, they had all seen it. The group that was with him, like, the people who were making breakfast called everyone out of their tents to come and see these crazy lights. But after a few years, Carolyn was watching a program on the TV of a rocket launch and realized that's what he saw that night. He was like, that's it. That's exactly what we saw. So with this information and the photograph, people started to wonder, had they witnessed something they weren't supposed to? And had the government tried to eliminate them because they were witnesses to some kind of crazy government testing facility? Um. But that doesn't really hold up either. Okay, so A, that doesn't explain the cuts in the tent because this person who literally two weeks later saw the exact same thing, they didn't flee in terror. They came out and looked. Yeah, doesn't explain that either. And... Sure, the government could have been testing rockets or weapons out there, but it was it was so far away that if if what they captured in the photograph was a, a rocket or a weapon of some sort that they were testing, it wasn't close to them. It was like miles and miles away, which makes sense because like the government is not going to test stuff all the way up in the like freaking Dyatlov Pass in Siberia. Like they're going to go somewhere maybe a little closer to like normal elevation. So and also like it sounds like the government like the KGB that's a lot of fucking effort to eliminate somebody like that's they got a lot guns. of effort that's a lot of effort exactly like that <laughs> does not make any sense to me that's a lot exactly. of exactly <laughs> exactly exactly so three months later the snow starts to melt and a Mansi native named Kurikov Kurikov found some cut branches about 150 feet from the cedar tree that they had mm-hmm. seen the map, the the first group, they'd found the first, uh, the Yuris. Um, and he also found some cut clothing. So the search came, team came and began to dig. Under more than 10 feet of snow, they found a small den. There were cut branches that were formed to make a makeshift floor, but there was no sign of the hikers. Vladimir, who was one of the kids who had to, one of the friends of the hikers. Okay, he's, I just threw this in here because I was like, what the fuck? He was like, he ended up finding a body, but it was, like, with a poker. So, apparently, there's these things that you do with snow. It's, like, an avalanche poker for mm-hmm. people who, like, get buried in avalanches where you stick this stick in and twist it. And the way you know you found a person is when it, like, hits a body. I just feel like that had to have been traumatizing for this person. Yeah, because they're probably not expecting that. I know. And he, show enough, hit a body. So, they found Luda. Um, she was buried under 12 feet of snow. She was found in a small ravine collapsed over a natural ledge. The three remaining bodies, and again, go to this website if you want to see maps and pictures. They have all that information on there. So the three remaining bodies, Samon, Tybo, and um, Alexander, were found close by. These three were laying next to each other. In the documentary, they talk about how they were all... um, because of the government conspiracy, and likely they were laying next to each other to conserve, try and last-ditch effort conserve heat. In the documentary, they talk about how, at this point, because of all the government issues, they were concerned about radiation poisoning. I'm not entirely sure where this concern came from. It kind of makes sense now that I've seen the end of the documentary. Okay. So 
just bear this in mind. Um, but the people in the helicopter, like, refused to fly them out until they were put in, like, special lined cases. And they were sent off to have their autopsy done. Tebow, though dressed warmer than the first five hikers, he had on a jacket, undershirts, ski pants, an underlayer of pants, and felt boots, had a strange and devastating blow to the head. Even the medical examiner at the time reported that he didn't think it was possible that these injuries could have happened to him by falling from a level of his own height. So essentially falling and hitting his head. Yeah. The injury was likened to impact with an automobile moving at high speed. Alexander, also dressed well, had no boots, just two layers of fire-damaged socks, also had some strange injuries. He had a wound behind his right ear, right ear of an undetermined shape, and there was a deformity in his neck in the area of, a th- of the thyroid cartilage. So, like, here. Okay. Cause of death, they froze to death. I don't know about that. I'm going to go ahead and say that it was probably the injuries that killed them. Mm-hmm. 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 Over freezing to death. But okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not a medical mm-hmm. examiner. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you don't have You don't have to You know, be. I've watched well, a few SUVs to know. <laughs> <laughs> Some NCIS. I know a thing or two. <laughs> Criminal minds. I'm just kidding. So Semyon, who was the older, the oldest member of the party, he also had a basic level of clothing on with boots, but his face was really decayed. Now, this was probably because they found him in a stream of melting snow, like they okay. created yeah. a stream. Um, but what was odd is he had strange crushing injuries. He had multiple fractured ribs and hemorrhaging into the, I don't know what this is, pleural canal. Which happened while he was still alive. I'm guessing somewhere in his chest. Or, I'm sorry, the pleural cavity. Um, the medical examiner, again, said that this wasn't caused by a fall. He was hit or squeezed or thrown or something was thrown at him. He said Semyon died as a result of violence. Okay. So finally mm-hmm. one makes sense. Mm-hmm. So Luda had some ski pants, but they were badly fire damaged and two sweaters. She didn't have boots, but had wrapped a torn sweater around her feet. She was missing her eyes and tongue. There is some skepticism initially that, again, another one of the melting snow streams that she was found in caused this. But the tongue thing is weird because, like, it makes sense for your eyes because it's such soft tissue. But your tongue is such a strong muscle and it's so fastened into your body. Yeah, that if the rest of your like her if her mouth's not like wide open, why right. would it be missing? Because then you can right. also be like animals, it's the wild. But there's not that many animals up in this part of the mountains. That's why it's called Dead Mountain. Also, probably why you shouldn't be up there. But okay. I mean, you and I agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go. Um, so yeah, no, it's just he, that's she, just weird to me. Yeah, it's weird. So she also had suffered a brutal impact to her chest, fracturing multiple ribs, and one of the ribs punctured her heart. Her cause of death was hemorrhage fractures that were also caused during life. Ooh, so these things happened while she was still alive. Mm, that's not – no, thank you. Uh-huh. I know, not pleasant. So Ivanov, the investigator, he was, like, stumped with all of the 
with like what what could have happened to the people and with all of the speculation about government involvement in the death he decided to have the clothes tested for radiation and surprise some of the people in the ravine were shown to have above normal levels of radiation so shit's just getting cray okay yeah everything's just getting out of control so the government starts freaking out and orders ivanov back to headquarters and that the case be closed he wrapped it up saying which was probably based off of orders it is concluded that the cause of their demise was from an unknown compelling force with the tourist that the tourists were not able to overcome. Which is the name of the documentary, An Unknown okay. Compelling Force. <laughs> I just love when they do that in movies. Makes sense. Got it. <clears throat> and that was it for the official investigation. It was done. So, Soviet Union falls. Praise the gods. <clears throat> the case files were released. So now we're going to look back at that information that I just told you guys and talk to some new experts who have also reviewed these files with new eyes, new technology, new government, etc. So first we meet Natalia Sakharova. Um, I'm calling her Natalia. She is an expert criminalist, like professionally. She worked with police for years. So she's here to tell us a couple new things, starting with the tent. So at the time, you remember, they believed that the tent had been cut from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Well, she tells us and and shows you in the documentary, she does like a a recreation, um, how... They had there was a potential for them to misinterpret the fiber evidence, not on purpose, but because of lack of knowledge, like they didn't necessarily know where to look like she was like and she explains it like when you make the cut, you have to look at this point, not at these points. And they took pictures of these points instead of the point that they should have taken pictures at. So like they could have very easily just misinterpreted what those fibers looked like. But then she goes into the autopsies and the evidence that the bodies had on them and she straight up says it was murder straight up (laughs) i kind of love this lady actually yeah she's just like she's like i'm not i'm not here to waste my time yeah or your time which is it was murder done in a story why are we still here exactly so i'm gonna get some more wine okay 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 we'll do a quick a quick wine break everyone go get some booze while we hear about the new um the new evidence that they discover so then next we meet Ken Holmes. Um, he was the coroner for Marin County for 36 years. Um, he didn't find any any fault with the thoroughness of the autopsy for the time. Just the interpretation mm-hmm. of the findings and the cause of death for, as he said, at least seven of them. He said the trauma, it wasn't a fall. A fall mm-hmm. cannot cause that kind of trauma. Period. Done. Um, <clears throat> he confirms that it did look like the officials were doing their best to just sweep the incident under the, under the rug. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. So next we meet Mick Fennerty. And I'm just telling you, this guy, he looks like Beaker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he looks like Beaker and he talks like he's a Emery board. I don't know. He was a funny character. Um, he's retired FBI. Okay, so, um, so he he's like, does a lot of shit and like good at his job. Yeah, extremely yeah. good at his job. There's pictures of him with presidents. He saved this little girl. Like, yes, very good at his job, but has the personality of a dishwasher. Um, so 
he talks about Occam's razor. Like the simplest explanation is likely the truest one. Um, the hikers were forced out of their tents because they had no boots and they didn't immediately return back to the tent. The wounds that they had, he was like, no, it's not an accident. It's a homicide. Mm-hmm. So here we go. But who was out so, in the middle of this freaking dead mountain in the middle of winter in Siberia? I'll tell you. So aliens. Ken starts. <laughs> not aliens. <laughs> <laughs> so Ken starts to dissect the injuries. So we're going to start with Samon. His He was the one who had the chest his chest was crushed he had the the impact to his chest mm-hmm. so his speculation so this is the corner can the corner um he was lying on his back and something fell on him or stomped or jumped on him because of a, 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 how severe the fractures were but also they were so high on his body they were like this upper part of his mm-hmm. ribs and when you fall on something, like you hit a rock or a log, you're going to crush these bottom parts of your ribs, not these top parts. Um, so that's what would lead him, in his professional opinion, to believe that he was stationary and something impacted him. So then there was Luda. The fact that the impact was so forceful that the ribs bowed and actually punctured her heart, he said this takes a blow of incredible force, and the ones that he sees usually come as a result of a car accident or a fall of 50 feet or higher. She did not fall. He said mm. he, he speculated, could a person do this? Perhaps, but it would take a, quote, pretty hefty person likely jumping or throwing themselves against her. So. And, like, if she's moving and trying to get away and this and that, like, I feel that makes no sense to me. It probably wasn't one person. She was also missing her eyeballs and tongue. So Natalia, the uh, mm-hmm. criminal expert or whatever, um, she comes back to tell us that in the autopsy report, there was a report that showed she had blood in her stomach. And so for her, what this indicates she is that her out. tongue it... was torn or cut out while she was still alive because she swallowed mm. the blood. Yeah. Mm. No, thank you. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So... Tebow, he's the one with the massive fracture on the mm-hmm. right side of his head, not the little one. Um, so Ken comes back to tell us that he was struck. Like, that's that's the only thing. Like, that does not happen. And you fall, like, you were struck. And he said, based off of the way that the injuries looked and all that other stuff, it seemed like the type of injury where his head was unsupported, meaning he wasn't on the ground. So, like, he was struck where, like, his head could still move. Alexander, he was the one with the smaller but still sizable wound on the back of his head, like the and the weird mm-hmm. neck deformity. Natalia comes back where she was like, he was strangled. Yeah, that's what that was. He was strangled. Did they say anything about what was caused that like weird thing behind his neck? I don't remember them saying anything specifically about that. I feel like I would have would have written that down, but um but if he was Watch strangled, something sure. like a branch or something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, or they could have, have like, him. someone could have like smashed his head at the same time. Like, I mean, if you have okay. a long stick, like, come on, what is a stick like this big? You could take a stick and smash someone in the head with that. 
that's going to like fuck up their their skull for sure while somebody else is strangling them or or after or before. Mm, I don't like that either. No, thank you. So the Yuris, the first two who were found by the tree, they were the ones who had the bruises and cuts to their eyes, nose and lips. Mm-hmm. Doroshenko also had bruises in his armpits and his lower arms like this okay. or his upper arms. Krivnashenko had bruising to the forehead, to his knuckles, and also had a severe burn on his left leg. Now, that was a pretty severe injury, but all in all, there was nothing stopping them returning to the tent. So, like, why didn't they go back to the tent? Rustem, the next person found, who was, like, facing the direction of the tent and likely trying to make his way back, had the worst bruising to his knuckles. He also had a massive fracture to the side of his skull. Natalia comes back on and she tells us that this is not caused by a fall. When people fall, they damage their palms and the front of their head, not the mm-hmm. backs of their hand in the temple. She just goes, yet. <laughs> like, yeah, no. She's like, she's not here for your bullshit. She I is. love, I love her. She's like, no. No. Um, no. And corrects her. He would. Sit down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He was likely knocked unconscious very near to where he was found, which is probably why he died. Zena, she was the one who had all the bruising around her face. And then she also had this 30 centimeter bruise across her back and kidney area, which which was huge for a bruise and likely knocked the wind out of her out of her. And again, she had bruising on her knuckles. Ken argues, the coroner, that. You could definitely make the case for her putting up a fight against her attackers, but you could also make the case that over the course of the three or four days prior to her death, she had like scraped it against ice or something accidentally. In Mm -hmm. his opinion, however, he believes that it looks like she was defending herself. Yeah. Dyatlov, who was also found facing the direction of the tent with bruises on his knuckles and bruising on his wrists and ankles... Okay. Natalia tells us, again, based off how the injuries are described, it looks like they were bound over their clothes. She thinks this is why these strong, young, equipped people weakened so quickly in the cold. So then Ken comes back and he tells us how much he's tried and tried and tried to think of a scenario that would explain all of the injuries that the hikers had. And he struggles like he can't do it. The only thing that he can think of is that there must have been other people present. So, okay, there were people that came and attacked the hikers. But what about the lights, right, that they have in the camera? What about those? Those those matter. Aliens, Some people speculate. Joe. I know. Some people speculate that there was gas or something that affected the hikers, like, psychologically. Psychologically, yeah. But then Ken comes back and explained that even though there might not be any physical evidence on the bodies or at the scene because it had been so long before they were found, there would still be evidence internally if it was a chemical potent enough to cause disorientation that severe, namely damage to the lungs or the throats. But then it goes back to the injuries. Why would they walk so calmly for an hour and then lose their shit and somehow inflict all those injuries on themselves? It just doesn't pan out. So Liam basically is like, I think it's a red herring. I think the lights probably were the government, like, mm-hmm. testing some missile, like, miles and miles and miles and miles away, and they saw them in the it sky. Just and it just was a coincidence yeah. that happened that day. 
they just took a picture of it. They were like, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then it had nothing to do with the case. But there's still the radiation. So it actually turns out that there's a super easy way to explain this. So Luda had the highest levels of radiation on her sweater. But this sweater actually belonged to Krivnashenka, one of the Yuri's, one of the first two bodies that were found. Mm -hmm. Perhaps indicating that she took his sweater after he died or maybe he just gave her the sweater to be like a nice person. Um, But turns out that he had actually worked at a nuclear facility, which a year and a half earlier had suffered a major nuclear explosion. At the time, it was the worst in history. And today, it is still the third largest after uh, Fukushima and Chernobyl. Mm. But it was covered up by the Soviet Union at the time. So, of course, hundreds of people died and were exposed to radiation before they were able to be evacuated. And Krivnoshenka was part of the cleanup team. Now, bearing in mind the government at the time when this happened and the fact that they didn't have as much technology now as we do now, it kind of tracks that he was likely exposed to some level of radiation. In fact, he quit his job early because he was, quote unquote, unwilling to work in this system. Hmm. So... It wouldn't be outrageous for him to be a little bit radioactive still and that put ca- sweater on. And could that <clears throat> cause him to have like a break? Like it wouldn't no. That's no uh, radi- radiation poisoning is more just like you. just yeah. destroys your body. It doesn't your body, yeah. It's not more yeah. about okay. And now they didn't have intense radiation. They were just a little bit they were higher. There was higher radiation than normal. So it's very possible that he just was exposed to radiation, had it still, he was still radioactive all these years later, had the sweater on, Luda took the sweater, and so the sweater was radioactive. Luda was not radioactive, just Just the sweater. sweater. Okay. So the second person who had radioactive clothing was um, Sasha. And funny enough... He had also worked at a secretive nuclear facility um, when he had graduated. So it is entirely possible that at some point in his work, he had come in contact with material from the explosion in some way, shape, or form, or the radiation was so uh, small or so low that it was possible that he had simply just worn the contaminated sweater before giving it to Luda or something yeah. like that. So it's easy to like explain why that was happening. So Natalia comes back and tells us that the reason for all the secrecy was because Ivanov, the investigator, had to report to his supervisors that there was strange phenomenon in the sky that had been reported. And they, the government didn't want this information to get out because this was during the Cold War. So the yeah. race for nuclear supremacy was like at its peak. So information getting out about where and what they were testing in and of itself, big no-no. We don't want any of that to happen. We don't want people to know where we're testing our shit or what we're testing. In fact, one of their friends was even told that they were speculating that after they found the first five hikers, that the four remaining hikers had fled to America with national secrets to be spies. This is what the government was worried about. This is what the government was worried about. Okay. But then they found them all 
breathed a sigh of relief. You know, the government breathed a sigh of relief. But then the radiation tests were requested and they really freaked out because if there was radiation and people started asking more questions, information about the nuclear explosion could get out and that would be even worse. So they ordered the case to be closed and that I and Ivanov even wrote about this after the fall of the Soviet Union, kind of explaining basically just that, like, they were really worried that people were going to find out about this explosion. They were worried people were going to find about like where they were getting get tested. Like, I just had to close it. Like, I, yeah. I didn't have much of a choice. So the government's like, cool, our asses are covered. We don't really care about what happened to them anyways. So it's all good. So now we have to speculate about what could have happened. The closest village was 50 kilometers away. The only people who moved in that area were the Mansi. Mm-hmm. So Mick, the FBI guy comes back to talk to us because remember how they were super helpful in assisting the officials and trying to to find yeah. them and that the Euro Mountains weren't protected by the Mansi. But he tells us, he's like, this doesn't mean anything. This is not an indication of innocence. There are tons of so, murderers and serial killers who try to it, be a part yeah, of the... Yeah, they put themselves in the investigation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So... The Batyrov family lived in a nomadic camp of yurts in the upper reaches of the Vishai River. One of the brothers, Peter, said in an interview, and this river is like in the Ural Mountains or near the Ural mm-hmm. Mountains. Um, Peter said in an interview, Mansi don't have a prayer mountain nowadays. I don't pray and I don't know of a prayer mountain. But 10 days earlier, his brother Nikita, who lived in the same family camp, said in an interview, Mansi Prayer Mountain is located near the Batryov Yurts, 30 kilometers and the upper Vishai River. There aren't any other sacred places. Okay. Now, they could have just been protecting their sacred lands. Like, we're Mm -hmm. not going to tell you where those are. Like, we're not going to say shit. Like, you guys are fucking... Which, like, to be fair, like... History has tend to not be kind. Exactly. Yeah. You guys are colonizers. Stay the fuck out of our land. Yeah. So we do know now that there were, in fact, more sacred places. So on the Dyatlov's route, the hikers took a photo of what we now know. They didn't know it then, but we now Mm -hmm. know was a sacred cave. To the north, Manpapu-Nur was the most sacred place of all. It's these three massive stones that tell the story of a Mansi shaman who turned three giant warriors into stone when they were when they threatened to destroy the Mansi. And Mount Ortorin, the team's final destination, there were very similar stones found in that area. So another member of the same family, Pavel, stated that he never went near the mountains where the Dyatlov team was found. He says, in winter, there are strong winds that make it impossible to go up the mountains. Even for us, Mansi, it can be dangerous to go there. But if you look at the collection of photographs, there's writings on trees. Mm-hmm. There's chooms, which we'll talk about in a second. There's definite evidence that the Mansi people did go up there. Okay. So Svetlana comes back in. She comes back to confirm that we do know there were people in the area. There was a tomb, which is a tent structure, just meters above where the tent was. The search parties saw this and photographed it. So there is a photograph. If you go on the website, you can find it. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they were involved. But as with as is the case with any indigenous people and colonizers, it wasn't great. Yeah. There was indoctrination in their history. Mm -hmm. Their land was taken. Their children were sent to boarding schools where their culture was beaten out of them. They were forced to be more, quote unquote, civilized if they wanted to or not. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, never this story of war. I don't know. This this, this happened anywhere else? Yeah. Seriously. Um, The natives did not like this. And they fought back, which resulted in several deadly conflicts in the 1930s. After these genocides, their culture, which is thousands of years old, was made illegal. Like, it was illegal to practice shamanism. It was illegal to, like, yeah, it was just declared illegal, which at the time when um, the Dyatlov group was was doing their ascent, their hike, um, it was illegal at the time. Their practices, their, the Mansi practices. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, today the country is trying really hard to preserve and reinvigorate what's left of the culture. Okay, but I mean, wait, after quick question, where exactly? Because you said this was like during the USSR, the Soviet Union, right? So right. where is it exactly? Is it Russian? It, it's it's in Siberia. It's Russia. It it's is Russia. Russia. Look at the map. Okay. Go- if you Google, mm, I wish I wish I could screen share with you. Um, Google. Dyatlovpass.com. Yeah, the Euro Mountains go from Kazakhstan all the way up to the Pacific Ocean, and the Dyatlov Pass is kind of like right in the middle of those okay. two. Got it, got it, got it, got okay. it. Despite their efforts, it is challenging when you eradicate a people to preserve culture and history. Mm-hmm. Natalia speculates that the group did something unacceptable, accidentally violating the Mansi culture, and they had to pay the price. Now... <coughs> I just want to say, no, I'll say this later, actually. We're going to move on, but I'm going to say something in a minute. So just bear with me, everybody. Bear with me. Okay. So next we meet Alexei Slepuin. We're going to call him Alexei. He manages an ethnopark, which is essentially like a, a place where they're trying to uh, preserve and build and, and cultivate this historic culture. Um, and he insists that there were no sacred areas or items in this part of the mountains. With that mm-hmm. amount of snow, that time of year, where they were located specifically, it is impossible that they could have found anything sacred. Sacred places are rarely visited and are specifically hidden from strangers on purpose. So yeah. it's highly unlikely that they were able to stumble upon anything of any major importance. He says that to assume that the Mansi were involved only reflects a person's ignorance of the people. Since the incident, there have been zero reports of Mansi attacking attacking Russians over sacred lands. And Liam, who went on the journey himself. So Liam, during this documentary, he is also following their track. He is going up to the Dyatlov Pass like an insane person. Um, And he did meet Mansi people along the way, and they were nothing but welcoming to him. Like, they fed him, they housed him, they talked to him, they let him interview them. They were nothing but warm and welcome. So Natalia comes back on and tells us about this other group of people called the Canty. Mm-hmm. These people don't live in the area constantly, but there were rumors that some of them were living in a very secluded place in the area. Now, these people were not friendly with the Mansi or the Russians. 
Okay. So we're at like the last six minutes of the documentary. Like they really held out with the solid information. Like you got to watch the whole thing. So at the very end, Liam tells us about this tiny detail that he finds in a report about an unofficial conversation that one of the investigators had with a member of the Mansi. His name is Kurikov. Or it was in the Kirikov family. The report says that the person told him there were reports of five Canty living near the Holy Mountain. This person said that they were like savages, not friends with the Mansi or Russian people, and that they would definitely kill the tourists because they wanted to climb the Holy Mountain. However, when this man was later officially interviewed, he denied ever saying that. The last clue is a strip of dark material found near the cedar tree where the Yuris were discovered. A member of the search party who was there and is alive today, his name is Boris, says it was a dark belt with tassels at the end. He said he didn't know who they belonged to, but it looked like the kind of a strap that the Mansi used to pull loads. So Ken is back one last time to say that mm-hmm. based on the injuries, what he believes is there had to be four or five people involved and that categorically it was not an accident. Natalia signs off by telling us that the bodies tell the story. Story They were murdered. Period. Yeah. Mick wraps up by saying in no way does he buy the accident theory. It was a homicide. And Svetlana signs off by saying the military wouldn't have done it this way. There's an expression in Russia, no body, no case. Yeah. They would have they would have shot them and destroyed the evidence. Mm-hmm. Then Liam finally makes it to the Dyatlov Pass and talks about how beautiful it is and how remarkable it is and that, you know, he was sorry that they never made it to their their end point. And then at the end of the documentary, there's we see some text talking about how the Russian government has officially written it off as an avalanche. But that could not be because if you look at the pictures, you can see this. Yeah. When they dug out the area for their tent, they put in these, av- I guess there's like avalanche stakes that you put in to keep the snow from sliding specifically. They were unmoved. The injuries do not show signs of an avalanche. Mm-mm. And there would be physical evidence of an amb- av- ambulance. Oh my gosh. Avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> so the caveat I want to add is that we should never... I mean, nobody is guilty because of their culture. But you can't be innocent just because you're indigenous. Indigenous people can have murderers in them, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it's not all of them. You know what I mean? Like, there can be, like, one fucked up piece of shit who's like, let's go murder these motherfuckers, because we can. Who's going to find them? (laughs) Yeah, but I just feel like that's... Pretty damn brutal for, like, people that have no control or, like, like, I mean, this the Soviet Union at that time. And, I mean, even now in Russia, the citizens don't have a lot of fucking freedoms or control. It's certainly not like here. You know what I mean? So, like, to me, I feel like that's a lot of, like, violence towards. So what do you think? What do you think? Aliens. I'll always go with the alien spirit. Because I've, right, I've heard of this canceled. case before. I've heard of this case before. But this is the first time that, like, it 
This is brand new information. Seems like it goes more towards the indigenous, um, how do you say, the Mansies? The Mansi, yep. The Mansies. Or, or uh, I mean, it's very possible that it could have been, I mean, let's say this guy is unofficially talking to, like, uh, the investigator, the Canty, and he, like, mentions, like, yeah, there's, like, these five Canty that are just chilling up there that are fucking crazy. Like, they're fucking crazy, you know? Because, like, they weren't part, like, the, the allegation, right, is that, like, mm-hmm. they weren't with their group. They were just five random Canty alone in the wilderness. So maybe the guy is talking to him and he's like, yeah, there's five fucking crazy people up in the mountain. It could have fucking been them. And then they interview him officially and he's like, I'm not fucking saying anything. Are you out of your damn mind? I'm not trying to get my family murdered. They're lunatics. Yeah. Like not saying like the like all canty are that way, but like these five people. And what are the odds that Ken also says it had to have been four or five people? Like what are the odds of that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know like – I know it's a tricky case but like I feel like if they're saying if they're like coming down they're saying listen there's no like at this time of the year there's no secret things there's no whatever and even if the hikers but we know there were something but we know there were like that's not true we know there were sacred spots there okay now so now okay but I think I just just think that it's a lot of like I could understand maybe like beating them up, but to kill that many people. Who else could have done it? I don't know. Maybe there's a freaking psychopath out there. I don't know. I that's well exactly. No, exactly. That is my point. Is like just because you are okay, so I believe that statistically because of evolution, I mean, you see it in animals, you see it in wildlife, there's always going to be one crazy motherfucker, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and in, in nature, there are ways to to mitigate them and deal with them in a lot of ways. So just because you are indigenous does not mean that your culture is immune to having those insane people be a part of it. No, 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 so, no. I understand that. What if, I understand that. No, like, no. Yeah, yeah. What if... There was just a crazy fucking dude, because let's be real, it's probably a dude. Yeah, it's, it's not a woman. Who, no. yeah, let's, let's be real. Crazy fucking dude who convinced all of his friends, we're going to go, and we're going to be cool, and we're going to be on the holy mountain, and we're going to, like, fuck these people up because we're cool dudes. I mean, that's not that crazy to think about. No, it's not. I just... I also just always, like, I don't know. I just feel like I wish there was more head, like, evidence of the hikers doing something to disrespect the Mansies. And then I could be like, okay. But, like, the fact that, like, no, was there a diary entry mentioned? Or the Canty, though. But was there ever a mention in the diaries that there was a confrontation Mm-mm. no not with the mansi see my speculation is not that it was the mansi my speculation is that there were some crazy ass canties who i mean could have very possibly been kicked out of their community because they were like you are fucking insane yeah like get out 
So, so your theory is that it was some group of people that lived up there that were very isolated. I think it was part of the one of the, it was one of the natives. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was a crazy fucking dude, not representative of the culture at all, just a, an actual psychopath who was maybe exiled from the community or was maybe maybe left of their own fruition because they were like, well, no, I want to kill things all the time. And, you know, the rest of the community was like, no, dude, <laughs> no, dude, <laughs> that's not how we do things. And they were out there, saw the hikers and was like, hey, let's fucking kill them because we can. I don't know. I am going to go with. Um, don't aliens. say aliens. Don't say aliens. I'm going with aliens because. It was I not know, aliens. I, I've heard of this case before. A lot of like popular podcasts have done this. And like, so I've, I've heard a few. And I mean, I know it's probably not aliens, but I just. This is a side. I just like the idea of a mystery, like, of, <laughs> you know, something. Out of our aliens control. just I coming don't know. and aliens, havoc. Aliens. <laughs> but this is a this is a fucking crazy case. Like the whole yeah, time I was typing I it and like trying to put the notes together, I was like, "There's a lot of this." And then wait, we got to go back over here, and then we're gonna come this way, and then we're gonna. Oh, everyone just just hold on, okay? <laughs> oh, according to this website, it could have been a Wolverine. It was not a Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a theory. It is a theory. It was not a Wolverine. I mean, Wolverines are terrifying, am, but that's not what they, I they don't do I am changing from aliens to Wolverine now. <laughs> to Wolverine. Do you know what a Wolverine looks like? <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of it. I was saying, Google it, a picture of a I'm going to go with it. I'm talking, no. I, okay, first off, I'm talking about X-Man Wolverine. <laughs> hey, listen. Not this. Okay. You, you wouldn't have to fight me if X-Man Wolverine showed up. <laughs> If he was trying to inflict those type of injuries, yeah, you you have a great fucking time, Joe. I'm out. I'm out. I would. I would. Okay. It'd be Anyways, a great way to this die. This is going a different. This is going a different. <laughs> different way. You brought up Wolverine. <laughs> I just saw it on the website. Ugh, Hugh Jackman. Of um, different theories, and I haven't heard of that one. Death by snowbill, snowmobile. Oh my gosh. Okay. Y'all need to check this have snowmobiles. They didn't have those. Yeah, check it out. No, it's a great website. It will take you down all the rabbit holes. But, like, if you follow the rabbit holes all the way down, most of them don't pan out. The only one that makes sense is that somebody killed these people. That's it. Somebody maybe, murdered them. Maybe somebody on a snowmobile hanging out with aliens. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Someone from the future hopped a UFO, dropped out. First off, off, first off, no, mistake number one. Aliens have been around way before us. So, like, they built the pyramids. They got the, so, like, they got the snowmobile on. technology. <laughs> so, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? <laughs> come on. They, you know. It's fine. Um, and no, that is, that is, and we're not trying, I'm not trying to make fun of it because that's, that's, it's a horrible way to go. And I could not imagine. And that's just, I know 
Can you? you I mean, someone got away with killing how many people? Ten? Nine. Nine people. Nine people. I mean, it definitely, it is definitely, I don't know who, but it's definitely a person uh, or people, a group. It can't just, not just one. And I do agree. I do not believe it's the KGB because the KGB is not going to leave evidence. They have proved that before. That's not, and that's like, that doesn't make sense. If it would make more sense finding them in like a mass grave together, if they were all shot and then left in a mass grave, I'd be like, oh, KGB, got it. But like, this is like, people were, yeah, seemed more like tortured. They did not die peacefully. They did not die peacefully. No. No. I've always right. so like I've always been like the worst way to die right is drowning but like if you look at these pictures of like the bodies I'm like mm, I think actually freezing to death that'd be pretty terrible too mm-hmm. yeah, that'd mm-hmm. be pretty horrible mm-hmm. yeah. and I know this is yeah. a long episode but if you are actually experiencing hypothermia do not remove your clothes <laughs> please keep them on keep them all on because but that, I know you might want to will, yeah, will we'll send feel a single, hot <laughs> that like a lot of people say they feel like they were on fire so they take their clothes keep it on off. don't do it Just keep it Don't on. do it on Keep them on. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, but, well, Woo. let us know what you guys think. I, yeah. I, so whenever I find out these cases, it's like an itch in my brain that's just always okay. there. And I feel like this documentary was the first time I was able to scratch it. Where I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this makes sense to me. There was just some fucking psycho out there being doing what psychos do and murdering people. Maybe it was a crazy Russian psycho. We're just it could have been, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally could have been a Russian that just like was like, I'm going out into the wilderness with a bunch of my friends and we're just gonna live out there and kill people. Absolutely. I love I don't know country accents in your world right there. I think maybe I just have a little bit of an accent. What's up (laughs) in No, you went real country real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Just you wait. You just stay in North Carolina long enough, it'll come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, well, what's your weekly win? Um, that I see you in a few days. I know. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm excited to you, but to see you. But I'm also excited to see that baby. I know. He's a he's a cutie. Let's squeeze his little face. Um. What's your weekly win? Okay, so I got a Raven ZZ plant today. Kind of a big deal. Really Don't excited. know what that is, but cool. It is kind of cool, and I got it for super cheap, um, which is really awesome. And it's super healthy, and it's putting out new leaves. So that's kind of my weekly win, but also it's fucking Friday. I mean, this week has kicked my fucking ass. Like, Lord, girl. Mm. So I'm just glad it's done. I'm just glad it's done. It's done. Good. Well, it's done. You get to sleep in. All right, you guys. Well, if you like what we're doing, you want to tell people about us, let people know that we're there. We would love if you would give us a like, a follow, a subscribe. If you're on um, Apple Podcasts, a review and a rating goes a long way. If you want to see more stuff about what's going on, you can come find us on Facebook at A Thousand True Crimes Podcast Discussion Group. And you can also find us on Instagram at A Thousand True Crimes Pod. And I think that's all I got for the housekeeping. Yeah. All right, y'all. See you. We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.